a conversation about Tesla and the future of autonomous vehicles. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Robert Scoble, Chief Strategy Officer at Infinite Retina. Welcome, Robert. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So been a while. It has too long, in fact. So let's talk. Give us an idea of what does Infinite Retina do? Well, we're doing strategy for a bunch of companies around spatial computing, which is computing that you, a robot, or a uh, virtual being, and we should talk about that at some point, uh, can move around through, right? So augmented reality is the best example of this, but autonomous cars and robots are also part of that. And uh, Irina and I are um, writing a book about this topic, and we're doing a lot of research. Uh, we're gonna, next year, we're gonna be uh, releasing a bunch of research projects uh, on this industry. So. Very exciting stuff and certainly some of the most emerging technologies out there. I want to focus in on one of those though. Yeah. Let's talk about autonomous vehicles. I'd yeah. like to <laughs> I'd like to examine some of the issues related to Tesla and the future of autonomous vehicles. So, like for example, last April, the New York Times quoted the Ford CEO as saying, We overestimated the arrival of autonomous vehicles. Yeah. And and probably the same is true of augmented reality, right? I mean, Apple this week just announced that, that augmented reality is gonna be two or three more years than we were expecting, right? It's, it, we just uh, finished a part of the, our book about transportation. I interviewed Sebastian Thron, who's one of the guys who built the uh, Stanford team. Uh, he ran the Stanford team that won the DARPA Grand Challenge back 15 years ago to kick this all off. And he ran uh, Google's effort for a while. And um, we talked a lot about why it's taking so long to finish it off, you know, even after you're starting to see cars driving around. And it's, there's just a lot of edge cases to driving. Driving, you know, on a good day on a good road is pretty straightforward, but throw a ladder in the road and you have to handle it, right? Or throw a pothole in the road, you have to handle it. Or throw a snowstorm in the road, you have to handle that. So there's a, a lot of, uh, and then, you know, uh, somebody running across a freeway when you're not supposed to have somebody running across the freeway, right? You have to deal with that as well. And um, finishing off and, and really predicting what's going on on the road and having information about the road uh, at such a detail level is pretty hard to finish off. So we're seeing it just getting to the, last stage though at Waymo is just starting to drive cars without a driver in, inside and that's that's a real breakthrough I think uh, the next decade we're going to see real breakthrough after breakthrough of uh, finishing off uh, at least many roads in America not all roads because there's some roads that are going to be really difficult to drive right for maybe 20 years anyone who knows you Robert knows that you're a Tesla fanboy right oh yeah what sets Tesla apart from the rest of the autonomous vehicle market? There, there's actually two camps. Uh, there's what I would call the Waymo. So Waymo is this company that Google started, right? And Google bought the Stanford team. So Sebastian Thrun's team at Stanford got bought by Google, built the first uh, self-driving car that I saw on the freeway. And, um, and that was in 2009 and then spun out as this company called Waymo. And so they're largely seen as uh, two to five years ahead of everybody else in terms of sheer time. 
and they'd been driving cars around Mountain View in Phoenix, Arizona for a while. Um, and they use uh, at least one LiDAR, and actually I think they're using uh, two on the front and maybe one in the back now, um, to build a 3D map of the street, a, a, a 3D model of the street. And they're the LiDAR camp. So there's a whole bunch of other companies that use as a LiDAR. LiDAR is a spinning thing on top of the car. It's actually something like 64 or 80 lasers that spins and sees every surface around the, the car and is, is a time of flight sensor. So the light goes to a tree, bounces off the tree, and it measures how, how long it takes to get back to the sensor. And that, and that lets them build a point cloud of data around the car. So if you go to YouTube and watch how Waymo works, it actually builds a 3D model of the street around the car. You can actually see the street in 3D using this LiDAR technology. Now, Tesla is a completely different approach where, <coughs> I'm sorry, where they're using mostly cameras to do the same thing. Now, LiDAR is, um, makes a 3D model with less computation power. Cameras uh, can make a 3D image as long as the camera moves a little bit, which a car is always moving. So you can do that. Or if you have two cameras, right? That's why on a lot of the augmented reality glasses, you see two cameras, like, like the new snap glasses, they're putting two cameras, right? So that they can make a 3D image of the, of the scene in front of the viewer. Well, my Tesla has two cameras on the front windshield and it has two cameras on the side and two cameras on the mid, mid side and then a camera in the back. So it builds also a 3D image of uh, the street around it, but it's using cameras, which means it needs more computation to make that 3D image. And once in a while, it won't be able to see things. And therefore, sometimes it gets a little fooled where uh, LiDAR is very consistent because it's spraying light onto things, measuring how long it takes to get that light reflected back to the sensor and it builds a, a really consistent, nice 3D image. Elon Musk says, if I can see it as a human being, I can see it as a computation, uh, computer vision person, right? With cameras. And so it's two different philosophies and they're going to war and it's, pretty interesting. Now what's real interesting is Sebastian Thrun, the guy who decided to go LiDAR at Waymo, told me that he has switched his philosophy and he believes cameras are going to be the right way to go for a whole lot of reasons. And he says they're cheaper, they don't need to be spun, um, which you can see some semiconductor LiDARs coming out now. Um, which are little boxes that don't have spinning, moving parts in them. But they're still expensive, and they still need to be handled differently than visual data. And they still need to be uh, hidden in the car, and the car needs to be redesigned around these things, right? The Tesla already has eight of these cameras in the car, and already has a, a neural network built into the car, which uh, is real important, because this is the... Tesla advantage. Tesla is starting from way behind and not having as perfect a system as Waymo. 
but they're collecting a lot more data and driving a lot more miles with this camera platform. They have 500, 600,000 cars on the street. And uh, uh, Elon says within a year, he's gonna have more than a million cars on the street with cameras. And those cars are all updating to the cloud, to the Tesla God in the sky, the AI in the sky. And he, each of us drivers are training that AI in some way about how to get better at driving. So it's like a, uh, this AI is starting to learn and it's an exponential learner. We should talk about that. Why, why AI is so interesting. And it's not just interesting for cars. It's interesting for a whole range of things that human beings do. Um, but cars are the one that we care about. So, so deeply as part of our culture. Right? And, and Elon says that, you know, basically autonomous vehicles are worth five to 10 times more uh than the non-autonomous cars but well, worth it to whom right i mean I, I get all of the opportunity but does he expect well, it, consumers to pay that premium uh it's no no what what he's saying and and people uh aren't quite understanding what he's saying that the cost per mile is about to go way down think about it this way my Tesla. that my Tesla's sitting right underneath me, right? In my garage. <laughs> I'm sitting on top of my garage. It costs, if you add a, you know, a $70,000 car and you, and you finance that, and then you pay for the tires and the electricity and insurance and all that, comes to, I don't know, let's, let's say $2,000 a month, right? It's less than that, but let's say it's 2,000 just for fun. How many hours are in a month? There's 720 something hours in a month, right? So it's around $2, $2.5 per hour for my car to sit beneath me right now, right? Now think about an Uber. If I add a driver to that car, now the Uber adds $15 for minimum wage worker, right? So 15 plus two and a half, that's $17.50 for the same car to sit in my garage with the driver, right? And retail, that triples. So if you take an Uber and just tell them to sit out front, they charge you around 60 bucks for an hour just to sit out front, right? And they're losing money at that. So they're not even making profit right now at that, at that rate. But an autonomous car can sit in front of your house for $2, $3 an hour. And that's a huge shift in how we're gonna pay for cars. That's why people inside the industry say, well, we don't think you're gonna buy a car anymore because you're just gonna order it on your phone and use it when you need it and then let it go back into the pool and work for somebody else. And the cost per mile and the cost per hour is gonna be some big chunk less than traditional uh, cars. Because your car, most people, they use them for two hours a day and then the rest of the time they're sitting in the garage costing money. In an autonomous system, my car could go back outside and start driving other people around, right? And mm -hmm. making me some money. So when he says that your car is gonna be more valuable, it's because the car is gonna start making you money, right? Because it's gonna, instead of sitting in my garage costing me two and a half dollars an hour, it's gonna be out picking up rides for 60 or 40, 
and it's going to be sharing some of that revenue with me as the car owner, right? Okay, so that's that's the consumer market. Let's yeah. also talk about, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier, the large commercial vehicles like buses or even long haul cargo trucks that yeah. move into the economy. So there's, there's how is that going to work? But I think even more importantly, what role will government and regulators play in pushing uh, a, the autonomous vehicle forward? That's a big question. And, and there's conflicting forces, right? There's, well, one force is labor right? Truckers are a, a huge political force in America, right? Uh, some of them are unionized, right? Um, and there's, it's the biggest uh, employer in the, in the United States. 1.3 million jobs are, uh, long, are trucking, right? Just trucking, not including buses, Ubers or whatever. That's a separate set of drivers. It's a lot of people who drive for a living, right? In America and in, and in the world. So there's one, one conflict is going to be jobs. So there's going to be communities who are going to be like, well, we don't want autonomous cars because our jobs are going to go away. So we're going to ban them, right? And on the other side, uh, autonomous cars today are a little less safe than human, about as safe as human, but they're exponentially learning. They're learning um, the, the, the miles between accident is gonna go up exponentially, right? So let's say it's worse. A, a human kills somebody, uh, gets in a wreck every 900,000 miles. A self-driving car might be 700,000 miles. <clears throat> but I, I can explain how it's gonna go from 700,000 to 1.4 to 2.8 to 4 point, to 5 point something, right? Pretty quickly over the next decade. So a decade from now, it's going to be way safer if, to be in an autonomous vehicle than to be in a human-driven one. And so there's going to be a lot of people who, if you lose your child to a, a drunk driver, are going to be like, why are we still allowing humans to drive cars? In, in a decade, that's going to be a move. It's going to be a move just like, why, why didn't we put seatbelts in cars? That, that, that uh, saved hundreds of thousands of lives over the, over the years, right? And it used to be in the 50s, you bought a car, you didn't get seatbelts, right? Ralph Nader and his movement forced the auto industry to do something they didn't want to do and to add, add safety. So there's going to be these conflicting forces. And the, and the other conflicting force is productivity. If you add robots to your society, you're going to, your society is going to be far more productive and new services are going to show up um, and services are going to get cheaper, right? Think about delivery services, uh, transportation services. If they're autonomous, they're gonna be far safer and far cheaper than if you force a human to keep driving you around and delivering your packages and stuff. So some, some cities are gonna resist, some cities are gonna go, thank you, come on in. We want this new productivity, we want the safer uh, alternative. And you're gonna see that play out city by city by city. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where the Fed comes in right? All of this is going to play out in the next decade. The next go. decade is the decade of change. There's more change coming in the next decade than we've ever experienced as human beings. So. All right, Robert. Well, I, I'm not so sure about uh, how, what, what we're going to be able to get accomplished in the next decade, but. Um... Well, a lot's coming, whether we like it or not. And it's coming because the technology is getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper every day and is getting finished off. And that's real interesting to watch.
It is. And you're certainly on top of that. Thanks again, Robert Scoble, for your insight on autonomous vehicles. If somebody wants to connect with you, maybe they want to find out more about the work that you do at Infinite Retina, or maybe they just want to connect with you on social media somewhere. How can they do that? I'm on all the above, but generally Twitter or LinkedIn are the best places to connect with me professionally. That's where I publish most of my professional work. You didn't say Facebook. I'm sort of sort of surprised. <laughs> Thanks I'm again. on Facebook a lot, but generally I'm moving Facebook more to personal stuff, right? Family and friends, and that kind of thing, right? Good, good to know. Good to know. Thanks yeah. again, Robert. Two and pictures on Instagram, right? <laughs> so, I'm on all of them, so you can find me anywhere you want. Right. That is so true. You can, if there's a man that you want to find on social media. It's Robert Scoble. And if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.